Good evening everyone, we are Mamash few days before Pesach, Monday tonight, Friday night, we have four, four full days, Lela Seder begin. I want to remind all of you, Thursday night, it's the Bdikat Chametz, Friday morning is burning the Chametz. The most important thing, most important, is after we burn the chametz on Friday morning, not to forget to do the cancellation. To cancel all the chametz we didn't see, whether it's we saw it, whether we didn't see it. Someone who, who sells chametz to the goy, make sure to do it in the next day or two. Don't wait for the last minute. Friday, you know, after six hours from the day, that's it. You cannot sell the chametz anymore. Finished. Once you did what you didn't sell, you're going to have to destroy it. So if you have expensive bottles of whiskey and all this, if you don't sell it to the goy by then, it's gone. You have to spill it. So make sure you do it tomorrow, the next day. Don't wait for the last minute. Today, we're going to speak about, uh, a little bit about the Agadah, the story of Yetziat Mitzrayim. As you all know, there are four mitzvot on the night of Pesach. Four mitzvot. What are the four mitzvot? Two of them from the Torah, two of them rabbinical. <coughs> the main mitzvah is the story of Yetziat Mitzrayim, to talk about the exodus of Egypt. The, more you, the longer you do it, the better it is. It's not a one-time mitzvah. Like when you eat matzah, you eat, you're done, you, you finish the mitzvah. That's it. So the mitzvah of eating matzah, which is also from the Torah, it takes four minutes. That's it. Six minutes. That's it. Not more than that. Once you eat, you eat, you finished. But the mitzvah of the story of Egypt, of Yetziat Mitzrayim, the exodus of Egypt, it can be all the way to the morning. As we're going to see, some of the Chachamim, they used to sit all night and talk about it. One way or the other, the first two mitzvot I just mentioned are from the Torah. The other mitzvot is four cups of wine, it's the Rabbanan. And eating maror in this time, it's also the Rabbanan. So we have two rabbinical mitzvot and two from the Torah. This mitzvot, women also obligated. Why? Because women participated in a miracle and the exodus of Egypt and there's mitzvah to lizhor, to, to remember Yetziat Mitzrayim. Women are obligated. That's why it's a very common mistake that some women, they have a lot of guests and they actually stay in the kitchen the entire night. Whether to heat the food and to organize it in plates and all these kinds of things and they don't listen to anything. So they have to participate at least in parts of the mitzvah when they speak the, the story of Yetziat Mitzrayim. Also the story of Yetziat Mitzrayim it's mainly for the children, for the boys. You have to say to your, to your child, to your son, the story of Yetziat Mitzrayim. So it's mitzvah to tell to your children, not to your guest. To the guest is also good, but the children come before the guest. And you have to talk to the children in a language they understand. If they're Americans, you have to explain to them in English. If you just read the Agadah and it's in Hebrew and they don't understand, they maybe know how to read, but they don't understand, you did not fulfill the mitzvah. 
in general, there's a question, in ge- it's a general question, when a person pray all year around, the best way is obviously to pray in a holy language, what we call Hebrew today. You pray in Hebrew, you read in Hebrew, that's the best. But what happens if you don't understand what you're saying? You're just reading. You read, read, read. It's similar to Persian people that read Arabic, but they don't understand what they say. It's the same alphabet, but they don't understand the Arabic language. So they can read Arabic fluently, but they cannot really understand the word. So imagine he has to pray like this all his life. Reading, 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 and doesn't understand a word of what he's saying. It's fast reading. It doesn't open up the heart. Person has no intention to what he's requesting or praising Hashem. It's basically worthless. What's the answer? The person has to pray in a language that he understands. However, however, the best thing to do is, even if you don't know the language, at least once in your life you sit for a month, for every day, a few hours, you take a little pencil. Today you don't need. Today they have already, everything is sold in advance with, the, with the, the subtitles, translations. So you have to any language. You have the Hebrew words, and right on top of it, you have the, in English, or in Arabic, or in Farsi. You have in different languages, in Russian. So basically, when at least when you read in Hebrew, you, you look at the, on the words on top, and you understand at least what you're saying. So at least learn, then at le- start with the Tfilat Shmon that you know the 19 blessings of the Tfilat Shmona Yisrael word by word. That's the first thing. And the Shema Yisrael also, very important. You said morning and night. You have to at least understand the words of the Shema Yisrael. And then you learn the rest. You learn, of course, Birkot HaShachar in English Sidurim. They have one side Hebrew, one side English. I made a test to all my little children. I said to them, you don't get the price that you wanted until all of you are not tested on all Birkot HaShachar. It's not, you're not going to be robots saying Birkot HaShachar without knowing what you're praising Hashem for, what you're thanking Hashem for. So they had no choice. They, they took the Sidurim, one side Hebrew, one side English. They went, review it 50 times. And in the end, they know it by heart. You have to do it with your little children. Whatever language they speak, they must understand if not the entire hour that we pray in the morning, at least 15 minutes of it to understand the words, that it opens up the heart. And like I say, today it's very easy because they have it already ready in a Sidurim. Even languages like Farsi, Spanish, they have everything. Almost every Jew in the world, no matter what language you speak, Russian, they have it all already in a Sidurim. If you don't have such a Siddur, you can take a pencil once, go with a person and write with small words on the side, next to each bracha, briefly. What does it talk about? Opening the sight of the blind people. Thank you for helping me to wake up, returning my spirit to my body, blessing you for giving us the Torah and chose us from all the nation. You write to yourself comments on the side, at least you understand the topic. Otherwise, it's, you're like a parrot. You know those parents, they're, they're repeating, Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom, but they don't know what they're saying. They just know, today it's the time to say Shabbat Shalom. Understand what it means? No. Okay, so now, we'll talk a little bit, some of the secrets of the Agadah tonight, that when you come in front of your children, you'll know what to say. 
on Friday night in America and the rest of the exiles, we are actually doing two nights. In Israel, it's only one night, Lela Seder. In general, it's Yom Tov. In Israel, it's only one day besides Rosh Hashanah that it's two days all over the world. In, uh, in the rest of the exiles, every Yom Tov, it's two days, except Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, it's too hard to fast for two days. So, there is only one day. But the rest of like Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkot, first Yom Tov, last Yom Tov, they all double. They come doubled in Israel. One of the reasons for it, according to Kabbalah, that what it takes in Israel one day, takes in the impure land of the world double. To bring the holiness of the Yom Tov the way it should be in Israel, it's much faster than here. The mitzvot in Israel are much va more valuable than in, uh, in the rest of the world. But also the sins are much more serious. When a person commits a sin in a holy land, it's like doing it in a, in, a, in a palace of the king. There's a different committing a crime in the actual house of the king or committing a crime outside of the house of the king. One way or the other, it's a crime. But it's not the same. The chutzpah that a person has inside Yerushalayim to commit a sin, verse compared to New York or Europe, it's nothing to compare. In the Torah it says clearly that Eretz Israel is the holy land, and Hashem chose this, this place as the holiest place in the world, and inside Israel, Jerusalem is the holiest, and inside Jerusalem, the place of the temple, it's the holiest, what we call the Temple Mount. You understand? And it says in the Torah, Eretz asher Hashem elokecha ba, a land that the eyes of your God in it, mireshit ha-shana v'ad acharit ha-shana, from the beginning of the year until the end of the year, basically all the time. The eyes of God never leaves the sight of the Holy Land. Obviously, there's many, many hundreds of other proofs that proves the Holy Land, it's a special place. According to Kabbalah, when someone died, you're not allowed to bring him to Israel for burial. If he died in Israel, you bury him over there. If he dies out of Israel, don't bring him to Israel. Bury him outside. Why? You're not allowed to impurify the land. Bringing a dead body into the Holy Land, it's bringing impurity into the land. You don't have permission to do it. Alacha, it's permitted. That's why they take bodies all the time. When people die and they bought a grave in Israel, they actually bring their bodies. But according to Kabbalah, it's not allowed even to show you the difference between the rest of the world to Israel. So, when we begin, we start the Agadah basically with the, with the sign, the simanim. Kadesh Urchatz. Karpas Yachatz, Magid Rachza, Motsi Matza, Maror, Korech, Shulchan, Orech, Tzafun Barech, Halel Nirza. That's basically the entire night. It's abbreviation. Kadesh, Kiddush. You begin with Kiddush. This year it's, it's Kiddush of Pesach, but it's also Kiddush of Shabbat. But it tells Lanu, you say Shabbat and Yom Tov, and Chagamatzot. Okay. Right after that, Ruchatz, Netila. Right after that, karpas, this netila is the netila that we do without bracha. Why? Because we eat a little bit karpas, less than one ounce. 
that we don't need to do bracha achrona. When we eat more than one ounce, we right away have to say bracha achrona. So we don't, we eat very little, mamash, one little tiny bite of the karpas, which is celery, celery, and uh, we do netila without bracha. Why? When do you have to say bracha when you do netila? Not always. If a person just want to take a bite from his brother's pizza, just want to taste. So give me, give me a bite. Does he have to make netila? No. For one bite. No. He doesn't need to do netila. The rule is, if he eats from 0 gram to 28 gram, which is between 0 gram to 1 ounce, which is 28 grams, you don't need netila, and you don't, obviously don't make bracha al netilat yadayim. Anything less than kazait, less than 1 ounce, you don't have to wash your hands. Between 1 ounce to 2 ounces, between kazait and kabeitza, Kazait means one ounce, kabeitza means two kazait, double, which means 56 gram, meaning two ounces. You do netila, but you don't make bracha. You still, you must wash your hands, but you still don't make bracha. If you eat bread more than two ounces, two ounces and up, meaning 56 gram and up, which is one pita, one average pita bread, you know, or maybe half of a chubby bagel, or maybe one slice of a rye bread, which is, could be 56 gram. Anything from above this amount, you need to wash your hands and to say bracha asher kiddushanu mitzvotav etzivanu anetilat yadayim. Less than 56 grams, you don't make bracha on a netila. Less than 28 grams, you don't even need netila. You understand? This is the rules. Here, what are we eating? We're eating karpas. We don't even eat bread yet. So we, we wash the hands, and right after that, we do bore priya adama, we do karpas. Then we do yachatz. Yachatz, we obviously, in a seder, we have three matzot. Good to give every one of the people in the plates in advance three matzot. Three best, best, if you can afford, is to buy matzot shmurot handmade. The cheapest you can find here in New York, I think it's in Costco, it's imported from Israel. It has new square ashgacha, it's supposed to be good, about $15 a pound. That's the cheapest you can find. Some goes to even $30 a pound or more. It's depend on how they supervise it and which mashgiach gave his certificate, just like every other kashrut. Meaning that in one pound of matzot, you have about six to seven matzah. So if you buy a very expensive matzot, we mean, let's say, 30 something dollars a pound, it actually costs you five to six dollars per each matzah. Very expensive. You have to give each one of the guests three, it's right there, 18 dollars per guest for each seder. It's very, very expensive. You need a mortgage. <laughs> you know? <laughs> So, if you cannot afford, try to buy handmade from places that are not, you know, overcharging. $15, $16 a pound, no, it's almost $3 a matzah, no, you can live with that. It's not every, every day of the year. 
If you're still not buying handmade, you can buy matzah shmura machine made. But that's already questionable. Not everyone agree with that. Why? Because to make massive production of matzot, hundreds of thousands of matzot by machine, and to keep the machine clean without any pieces of dough that would rise in the middle of the process, it's almost an impossible mission. That's why many rabbis will not dare to touch machine made. On the other hand, we have a rule. Every product that has a good ashgacha on it, you have, you're allowed to count on them. If you have ashgacha of the badats, it's known as a good ashgacha, and they give ashgacha to matzah mechona shmura, it's much, much, much cheaper, and they have good ashgacha. You can count on them. It's up to you what you want to do. You want to do extra humrot, you want to be extra strict, it's up to you. But once you have a good ashgacha, known as a good ashgacha, not half enough, not questionable ashgacha, then you're allowed to eat matzah mechona. If you count on the shita that mechona is allowed. Why there's a question? Because mechona, it needs koach gavra. It needs a man to do it. Just like when you make tefillin, you have to do it with the hands. You cannot make the robots make the tefillin. It's not going to be kosher. It has to be the old-fashioned way, the way it used to be in a time when Hashem gave us the Torah. So today, they use the help of machines. Even when they make tefillin, they have all kinds of mechanical things. Without it, the process would be ten times longer. But it constantly, he moves the machine, his legs, his hands, he rolls it. He does, he takes tools, so it's, everything is done by him with the help of machine. That's fine, perfectly fine. That's exactly how they did it in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu. But if you put it in a robot, a machine, and a machine like in China, factory, he does everything, cut, process, move from one step to another, and the filling comes out ready, and the robot writes all the parshiot, it will look extremely perfect, the highest level possible, but it's not kosher. Same thing matzot. If the machine will do everything from A, from A to Z, it's not the way you make matzot, at least not back in the time. So they participate. They do, they are workers, they work. The machine does most of the job. It saves hours of work. And it's obviously much, much, much cheaper. People who do not buy matzah shmura. Shmura means that it was kept under supervision from the time they cut the wheat until it became a matzah. There are many, many steps. You have a field. It's full of wheat. Once you cut it, you have millions of bundles of wheat or barley or whatever they use, right? So now from the minute you cut it, if it's going to start raining on it, what would happen to the wheat? It will be wet and start to rise. A little bit, it'll become chametz. That's all you need, the contact between wheat and water. And it begins to rise. Then it's chametz. Now you come, you make it into a matzah dough, but it was actually already chametz. It's a problem. We have a rule. When you cook something to Pesach, before Pesach, if chaz v'shalom, it got mixed with chametz, Let's say a little breadcrumb fell into the, into the rice that you made today. Today it's Monday. The woman of the family, she wants to make a lot of rice for the entire eight days of Pesach. So she has a huge bowl, she makes rice. One little baby, he got close. A little breadcrumb from his, from his 
bread fell into the huge bowl of rice. And you know, she mixes it, she moves it to a pot, and it got mixed with tons of rice. Before Pesach, we have a rule, the regular rule, every mixture, every mixture, if something negative got involved in it, got mixed in it, it's dismissed by 60. Batel Beshishim. Meaning, as long as it's not more than 1.6% of the mixture. If it goes more than that, it makes the entire thing not kosher. As long as it's less than 1.6%, meaning there are 60 times more good than bad, right, than the bad, then it's no problem. It's like it didn't get mixed there. But if it happens in Pesach, while you, you're making something on Yom Tov, let's say, and while, you, while you're cooking it, because on Yom Tov you're allowed to, to cook, to prepare. We prepare everything in advance. We don't have time to start cooking actually on Yom Tov. But let's say a person got stuck. Something went wrong with his refrigerator. He cannot open it because there's a light inside. I don't know. Something went wrong. Or the refrigerator got broken all night and all the food got spoiled. Now they need to eat something on Yom Tov. So the wife wants to quickly make rice. She's allowed to make. It's Yom Tov, not on Shabbat. This, this year, first day Shabbat, you're not allowed to cook anything on Shabbat, just to warm the food like regular Shabbat. In a year that it's not falling on Shabbat, you want to cook something. So now if you're going to cook, if now one seed of, of, of wheat will be mixed in a whole huge bowl of rice, even though it's less than 1.6%, it doesn't matter, the entire bowl is chametz. On Pesach, there's no such thing batel b'shishim. Before Pesach, it's batel b'shishim, it's a regular day. In Pesach, the eight days of Pesach here, there's no such thing batel b'shishim. You have to be extra careful. So what do we do? So, as I started to explain, matzah shmurah is from the minute they cut it, right away, right away, they hide it, they take it to the factory, they remove it from the cover, they grind it, they make flour from it. Everything is done from A to Z with the supervision of a kosher mashgiach, supervisor. Regular matzot that you buy for very cheap in a store, I don't know, bucks like this for a few dollars. Obviously, it's very cheap. Why? First, it's machine made. Those big packages, it's machine made. Second, it's not shmurah. There's no supervision. The supervision begins from the time they started to bake it. They actually started to make the dough in a factory, but not in a field, not carrying it, not bringing it into the factory. The supervision begins late. So what's happening? Most likely it's fine. Most likely. But the way they, it's done, when, they, when the matzot is very expensive, there's some reasons for it. They don't just make up a price and rip you 50 times more than the market price. No, it doesn't work that way. There's more people, you have to pay more salaries, you have to supervise it more, it's much harder work, it's all handmade. They work very, very hard. And they prepare already four, four or five months before Pesach, they begin to bake. It's not something that they do two weeks before, they make tons, many tons of pounds, so many. And there's a lot of workers in the factories. It's, it's a very hard production. Anyway, so when a matzah is supervised from A to Z, then you know for sure nothing went wrong. 
you don't have to count on all kinds of eterim and be lenient here and be lenient there. It's 100% supervised and for that you pay. Those who cannot afford and they buy machine made, not shmura, not matzah shmura. It doesn't mean that they eat not kosher. Most likely it's also kosher. Can we swear on it 100%? That's another sh question. But most likely it's kosher. Why? It's made from flour, so the flour was fine. It got mixed, and they make sure it does not go 18 minutes standing. Let me explain to you one more rule when you make matzot. When you make matzot, it's basically the same ingredients like bread. The only difference is that when you put bread, you, when you make a dough, you leave their dough to rise for half an hour, an hour, in a warm temperature, you even cover it with the plastic, so it begins to rise. It's blowing up, it's rising and rising and rising, especially with the help of the yeast, which rushed the, the rising of the dough. And then you put, it, you put some egg on top, and you put it inside the oven, and it gives you a beautiful challah. Matzah, you do more or less the same. The only difference is you don't let it rise. You make sure it will never rise. How long you need for the dough to begin to rise? 18 minutes. From 18 minutes, it's a law of physics. You put water and flour together and made a dough. When it will begin to rise? Not after two minutes, no. 18 minutes, it begins to rise. So as long as it's not 18 minutes, let's say now it's 9 o'clock, you know you have until 9.18. What does it mean? I mix everything. Now let's say it's 9.16. What would happen in two minutes? The entire huge amount of dough will all become chametz. So how, but we didn't bake everything. We have a ton of, of dough now in a factory. So what are we going to do? It takes time to put in the oven and take the matzot and put another batch and take it out. It, it may take hours. So you put people that with their fingers, of course they wash it very carefully, they constantly massaging the dough non-stop. If they leave it, it begins to rise. As long as you press the dough, even for a week, it will never rise. You're constantly picking it up, throwing it back, pressing it down. This is very interesting how it is. It will never rise. So actually the difference between chametz and matzah, it's only the rising. The illusion. Same thing. Once it's puffy and shiny and nice, and once it's flat, like a cracker, not as pretty, completely poor style, not fleshy style. That's really the whole difference between chametz and matzah. Why? Because when they came out of Mitzrayim, they prepare quickly though, there was no time to bake. They took it on their heads, like the Arabs walk, the Bedouin, they walk in, in the Arab villages, they have things on their head. You saw that? The Arab women, they can carry this entire shul on their heads. <laughs> when they walk, you have to see. They have a very heavy, I'm not, I'm not joking, very heavy, like balls, plates, all kinds of things on their head, they walk like this. And it's standing steady on their heads. So, because they were actually on a move, the dough did not rise. They took dough with them, but they constantly were on a move. So it's going up and down, up and down with the things. It did not rise. And because it didn't have time to rise, as memory of that, we were rushed out of Mitzrayim, out of Egypt, 
until today we eat matzah and not, and not uh, bread. That's the secret of the matzot. So as long as you keep pressing it, it will never rise. And that's why they always have people who are constantly doing it. And then they cut another thing and they make it and they put it on a stick and they put it in the oven and they take it out and now they have to sweep the oven, you know, and they sweep the boards. They have to make sure that no pieces of dough left because it's enough that one tiny piece of dough left on one of the sticks. What happened after 18 minutes? That little piece would rise. And it's already chametz. The next matzah you put on that stick, that chametz will stick to it. You put it inside. This somebody that will eat this matzah actually had bread on Pesach. You understand? What happened to someone that eat chametz on Pesach? Five kinds of grains. Wheat, barley, oat, spelt, and rye. Those are the five kinds of grains. Rice, not included. Rice is not chametz. The Ashkenazim, they have a strict custom which they don't eat kitniot. Things that are similar, similar to things that are similar to wheat and barley such as corn, you know, such as rice, all these things, peas. So the Ashkenazim, they're more careful not to eat it on Pesach. Why? Back in a time, they used to have fields one next to another. They grow wheat here, they grow rice right next to it, they grow peanuts right next to it. So when they wrap it, when they bring it in, they use the same equipment, or things are flying with the wind. A little bit of rice can fly to the wheat, or wheat fly to the rice, and they put it in big bags. So it could be that in a huge bag of rice, there could be some wheat. All it needs, that has one or two, that's it. And then you cook it, and you have chametz inside the rice. Therefore, they didn't want to take the risk. I just looked, my daughter was cleaning the rice. We, the Sfaradim, we eat rice on Pesach. We check it three times. We put it on a flat table, and we check them mamash carefully and make sure there's no black or brown. She actually saw mamash one wheat. One wheat. Mamash, no question, wheat. Sometimes it's rice that has maybe worms in it. Eggs of worms, it makes it black. It doesn't mean it's wheat. It's just a spoiled one, one piece of rice that it's not good. It's not white and, and it's damaged, but it doesn't mean it's chametz. But she found actually one wheat. What brand? Uh, the basmati ones. The basmati Persian rice. But it's not the fault of the rice, again. The rice, what can they do? They pack billions, you can have few of them wheat. You have to check. Before Pesach, you check. You know, I want to tell you a story. Rav Yosef, when he became the chief rabbi, they asked him to sign on a paper of kashrut for Pesach. What did he say? It says, because the Ashkenazim wrote that letter. So it says on that letter, the... The Ashkenazim make sure not to eat kitniot and Pesach, and the Sfaradim mekelim. The Sfaradim are more lenient. So he refused to sign. He said, it's not true. How can I sign on a lie? Say what? Say you should write like this. Kitniot on Pesach, it's perfectly kosher. And the Ashkenazim are strict. They decided not to eat it. 
peas it's not chametz, rice is not chametz, corn is not chametz, many peanuts is not chametz, all these things that the Ashkenazim don't eat on Pesach, it's perfectly fine. But they decided to be strict, and it's hundreds of years already, that's their custom. So the Ashkenazim are being extra strict on top of the law. The law permits that. The Ashkenazim decided many generations ago to be strict with that. So he said, if you change the, the text, right, the kitniot is not chametz on Pesach, and the Ashkenazim are machmirim. Machmir means accepting on themselves to be extra strict, not to take a risk. That's it. And they agree with him. They changed it, and he signed. So this is really the truth. By the way, today it's not open for negotiation. But even among the biggest Ashkenazi rabbis throughout the generations, many of them were wondering why they don't eat kitniot. And I'm not talking one anonymous posek. I'm talking the biggest one that they had in the last thousand years. Who is the biggest Ashkenazi posek in the last thousand years? The biggest? From the last thousand years. Posek halacha. Who is the biggest? Huh? I cannot hear. No. Rabbeinu Asher, the Rosh, is included in the Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch was written based on the Rambam, Rif, and the Rosh. Two Sfaradim, one Ashkenazi. And the Rosh is the main chief Ashkenazi posek, and his son, Baal Aturim, on the Chumash. That's his son. And then after that, you had the Ramah, which made comments on the Shulchan Aruch, is known as one of the biggest Ashkenazi poskim. Oh, we have the Gaon Mivilna, there's many, Baruch Hashem. But I'm talking the, the biggest Rishon, that it's included in the Shulchan Aruch, that means that Rabbi Yosef Karo, when he wrote the Shulchan Aruch, he actually collected the top three. Rambam, obviously, is the number one among, in, among all the poskim, and then you have the reef and you have the rosh. Those are the top three. And, uh, and if he took the rosh, that means all the other great legend Ashkenazim poskim, they were not in his level. That's why he picked him. If there was somebody greater than him, obviously he would be in uh, one of the three. Right? So therefore, the son of the rosh, Baal Aturim, he writes, I did not know where this custom come from. Who invented this custom, he writes. Meaning, based on his words, in his father's house, they ate kitniot in Pesach, 850 years ago. The Ashkenazim. So, you know, one of these things, you know, because the world, obviously Europe is huge, they have different customs. You cross the border between Holland to Germany. 40 minutes ride, that's already different customs. From Germany to England, different customs. From England to France, different customs. From Belgium to any country, different customs. You know, it's not like today, you have a train, in one hour you go everywhere. Back then it was donkey, horses, carriages. It was much like a, a nightmare to go from one country to the other, to cross the ocean. It wasn't like today. Today everything became one country, Europe, even one currency. Back in the time, there was different communities, and different communities had different customs. So now, so when we, we have three matzot, 
whether it's the square machine matzah, whether it's the round matzah, you give each one of the get three matzot. And then, when after we wash, after, after we did kiddush, after we wash, after we eat the celery, the, kar, the karpas, we come now to cut the middle matzah. We have the middle matzah, we have to cut it in the middle. In the, in the Haggadot of the Kabbalists from Baghdad, from Iraq, the Ben Ishchai and all the other Mekubalim, based on the words of the Arya Kadosh, it says to cut the middle matzah in a shape of Daled and Vav. Two letters. So you have to actually cut the middle matzah, that one would look like the shape of a letter Vav, and one would look the shape of a Daled. If we look at the matzot we have today, that it's like a cracker, if you're lucky, you cut it without making it five pieces. If you cut it to two pieces, that's already an achievement. And if they are equal, sometimes a little piece chopped off, you know, it's very difficult to cut it. How exactly you can cut it to the shape of Vav? It's not something flexible that you can rip it with a design. Oh, so we see from here, if you use your head, that the old matzot that the Chachamim had hundreds of years ago, it's like the Yemenites have. The Temanim, the Yemenite Jew, their matzah is not a cracker. It's like a pita bread. Mamash like a pita bread. When it's fresh out of the oven, it's actually very delicious. So you can reap it the way you want. Once you come to reheat it, it becomes like cement. You're lucky if it won't break your teeth. I tried it one year, the entire night I was just trying to bite. So get one piece already come off. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because after all, it, did it never rised. So it's very, very concentrated. But when you get it fresh, so you can reap it in any shape you want, just like you can reap a soft pita bread. So the Yemenai, that's their tradition. They eat this kind of matzot. We, uh, we use the regular cracker matzot, the thin and crispy. We just break it to two halves and it's good enough. And then we begin the story of the Agada, which is the main thing of the night. Some people, they want to get already to the shish kebab. <laughs> They're in a rush. Quick, quick, Rabbi, we're hungry. We didn't eat all day, especially if he's a firstborn. He did not eat all day, he was fasting, right? So now nine o'clock already, the rabbi begins to talk about Yitziat Mitzrayim. Rabbi, let's eat first, and then you talk as much as you want. Usually it sounds good, but as soon as the lamb goes in, and the rest of the food, they're half asleep already. Now you can talk to the wall. So what's the solution? If you're firstborn, you go in Shachrit to synagogues that has a lot of minyanim. Usually they always have someone that has a siyum masechet. They do siyum. You listen to the last page of the masechet when they finish it in Egmara. They give some cookies, kosher for Pesach, and some wine, whatever. You participate in a tiny meal, and you can eat for the rest of the day. If you didn't find siyum masechet, you have to fast. You fast. One good thing is during the day to let the kids rest. Why? Because kids by 10 o'clock, they're very, very tired. They, they waste a lot of energy during the day. Don't let the kids play sport. 
Don't, don't, don't let them run outside. Make sure the kids go to sleep for two, three hours in the afternoon that they're able to stay up until after midnight. Otherwise, you miss the mitzvah of Higata Lebincha. After Magid, once we're doing Magid, we progress with the Haggadah. We can add explanation to each part of the Haggadah from different books. You have to prepare it in advance, not in the middle of the Seder, you, be, you became a learner. <laughs> Until you find what to say, the night is over. Prepare it now. You have four days to prepare, take a yellow marker, mark parts in different Haggadot. Gaon Mivilna has beautiful Haggadah, full of Chidushim, Rav Ovadia Yosef has a great Haggadah. There's many good Haggadot. Now this is a new Haggadah that just came out, which I'm giving this shiur from, Rav Ben Zion Abba Shaul Zatzal. There's a lot of chidushim that came from his shiurim, from his talmidim. So, what do we see over here? You have to prepare a lot of divrei Torah what to say. On each part of the Haggadah, you mark to yourself, you can write it on a piece of paper, you can print it from your printer. Come ready. And the attention of the night is to your children before to your guest. So if the guest... If the guests understand one language and your children understand different language, you have to speak in a language that your children understand. So if you have, for instance, many Israelis, their children are Americans. They grew up here. They don't speak Hebrew. The guests are Israelis, the adults. They speak Hebrew. For them it's easy, they understand, but the kids don't understand anything. It's a very common mistake. You have to speak in a language the kids understand. If, even if the adults don't understand English. So if you have a guest that speaks Russian, you know, the older people, but the kids don't speak Russian, they speak English, you're not allowed to speak Russian. You have to speak the language that your children understand. If they also understand Russian, beautiful, so everybody understands. Whatever the language is, make sure that your kids understand what you're talking about. So after that, after, after Magid, meaning speaking about the Haggadah, we have Rachza, now we do Netila again, this time with Bracha, and then we do Hamotzi with the Matzot. In the Haggadah they explain how to do. They explain how to do the, the Matzot. You have three Matzot, you actually have two and a half. After you cut, after you cut the middle one in half, you take half, the bigger half, you put it in a Ziploc bag, and you put it aside. This is what we call afikoman. That's going to conclude the night. It's the last piece that you eat in, in the end of the seder. And that's actually the last thing you put in your mouth for the night. Besides water if you're thirsty. Nothing else. No desserts, no nothing with taste, nothing. No candy. This is the last piece you eat and you're going, when you go to sleep, you go to sleep with the taste of matzah in your mouth. Nothing else. You don't eat cherry cake or watermelon, nothing. You have to remember this. And this afikoman you put on a side. The owner of the house, he hides a, a piece from his afikoman. That's a custom that we do to make the kids happy. And the kids are running around, they're looking for it. And whoever finds it, get a prize. You tell them the prize in advance. Yeah, they have in America, they have two nights, in Israel only one night. So in America, more than one kid can find it. You hide it somewhere, the kids find it, you buy them a gift. That's entertaining for the night. 
In the end, you must eat this afikoman. Everybody remember where he puts his afikoman for the end. So now, when we do matzah, we have two brachot. One is hamotzi lechem in One is asher kideshanu mitzvotav etzivanu al achilat matzah. In the Agadah, they're going to show you what to do. So you make one bracha, you knock down the bottom matzah. Then you make another, another bracha, you cut the top matzah again to two halves. You take one half from the top and the, the other half that you already have, you put them together, cut it to four quarters. All the matzot we eat in the night, we have to eat when we lean on the left side. It's called heseva. Heseva, it's the way the king used to eat back in the time. Back in the time, they didn't have everywhere you go, you have chairs. Chair was only kings. Regular, ordinary people, they used to sit on the floor, like the Azerbaijan, all these places over there, the Kafkaz mountain. Until today, they sit on the floor and they eat with their hands. This is how it was the culture of the world. But the important people, they had some big pillows, and they lean, they lay like this a little bit on the side, they lean on the, on the left, and they were eating. Why on the left? Because in the neck of a person, you have two pipes. One for the air, and one for the food. The one for the food is on the left side, where your left hand, that's the left pipe, is where the food goes in into the stomach. The one on the right is where the air goes in. Air. If you lean on the right side when you eat, the food will go into the pipe <coughs> and choke you. And you begin to cough. If you're lucky, when you cough right away, the body is designed to eject it. But sometimes it's, you're not so lucky, and even a little tiny piece go deep inside, and it's stuck there for months. And you constantly cough and cough and cough. It bothers you, it's inside. One little piece can be stuck inside. That's why you have to be careful. When you eat, you lean on the left side. If you did not lean, it's not good. The entire thing in the night is to lean. So you have to lean on the left side. So what happens if you have regular chairs, you have nowhere to lean, you turn the chair a little bit to the left side, and you lean on the table, just like I'm doing right now. You lean, you put a plate like this, and you eat the matzah, when you lean on the left. If you ate regular, lo yatzali dechova. You did not fulfill the mitzvah. Also, all the wine that we drink, also on the left side. Maror, you don't need to lean. Maror, it's bitter. But remember, wine or grape juice, or mix of wine of grape juice, some people put half and half, all four cups must be leaning on the left side. Also women. And matzah, leaning on the left side, all the matzah that we eat in the night. So remember this, this is very important detail. Without it, you mess up the entire night. This entire night, it goes by, by a routine order. One, two, three, four, five. If you go one, five, two, seven, four, and messed up the night. We call it Lel HaSeder, the night of the order. According to Kabbalah, if you follow the entire night in a proper order, you're going to have order in your life the entire next year. 
from now until next Pesach. Everything in your life will go in the right order. Everybody knows that timing is everything in life. If you mess up by one minute, you can mess up the entire thing. Everything has to be A, B, C, D. That has to be in order. Foundation and the, sec and the first floor and the second and the third. If you do it in the wrong order, everything collapses. In learning, you need the right order. In marriage, how you date, what you do, when do you propose, everything has order in life. In work, how you do, how you get, you start very low, you go to the next level, you cannot occupy the world in one week. Even when you build a business, you know many people, you know what's the reason they go bankrupt? Not because they had no business, no. Because they had too much business. That's why they went bankrupt. Did you ever hear such thing? <laughs> a person is flooded with customer and work and he goes bankrupt because of that. Why? He has big eyes, greed. I'll give you an example. In real estate it's very common. Very common. A person goes into real estate, he buys a property, he brings people, they renovate the place, he sells it, he makes profit. Then he does another deal. He buys it, he renovates it, he sells it, he made profit. After five, six, seven deals, he put a few hundred thousand dollars on the side from all the profits. The more he saves, the more properties he can buy now, right? But what happened is the eyes open up and he has a lot of deals because now he has a system going for him. He knows where to find the, the, the houses in a cheap price, foreclosures, people that lost their homes, bank repossess the house, they sell it for a quarter of a price, a third of a price. He has connection already in a bank. The bank calls him up, hey John, I have three good, great properties for you. One worth a million, we're giving it out on the auction next week for 300. One worth 700, you can get it for 350. One is, right away, right, right away, you can make a million dollars here. You want it? Come with a check right away, buy the three property before he goes to the auction. It's all connection. Now here comes the problem. He has X amount of money, not enough to buy everything he see. He has 10 offers. Which one I'm gonna buy? Which deal? I wanna buy all 10. Each one of them is great profit. How can I let six or seven go? So he begin to borrow money. He borrowed 200, he borrowed 300. On every deal, he borrowed from people with high interest, 16, 17, 18, 20%. Private market, it's not a bank that gives you for five, 6%. It's very expensive, why? He's thinking it's still, very, it's still worth it for me. What am I gonna pay? Six months, seven months, I'll finish the renovation, I sell, maximum I pay one year, and then, I still have a lot of profit left and I didn't lose the deal. The problem is that not everything works according to his plans. One house got stuck, no buyers, he didn't calculate that he's in a bad area, maybe there's a cellular antenna, nobody wants to live there, so he gets stuck with that for two, three years, he pays high interest, in the meantime the interest he ate all his profit. And then, you know, all kinds of things. Things do not work. The construction world cost him much more than what he thought. All of a sudden, the market's value goes down. Because he expends too fast, he collapses. He cannot pay his bills.
Potentially, he has $10 million in the market, if he will sell everything tomorrow. But by the time he finished, he collapsed. He didn't have, he didn't pay the investors. The investor repossessed the homes, and he, basically, he ended up losing everything. So why did he go bankrupt? Because he was greedy. He didn't have patience to grow slowly but surely. He wants overnight to be Donald Trump. That's what he wants. He doesn't want to make first year 100, second year 200, third year 300, fourth year half a million, no. He wants to make first month, second month, third month, fourth month, he wants to occupy New York. You understand? And that's what's happening. Same thing in businesses. He opened one store, didn't finish to pay the debt. He see businesses booming, he opens right away another two. Bar or this, that. One store goes bad, everything goes bad. Why? Greed. It's all about greed. In life, you need order. You need order and of course you need siyata dishmaya. And for that, you have to behave properly in the night of Lela Seder. Seder means order. You will make orders in your life. And not only that, Someone that makes sure the night of Pesach not to talk any words besides the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim. No jokes, no politics, no sports, no stupid, definitely not Lashon Hara and gossip. That's Bechlal messed up the holiness of the night. Make sure that the Seder was done properly, 100% L'Shem Shamayim with lots of Divrei Torah. When you eat, eat very little. Don't stuff yourself with delicious Bukharian or Persian food. Pesach, it's not a regular holiday that people love to stuff their stomach. The night of Pesach, you eat almost nothing. Mamash very little. Little meat and finish. Why? Because don't forget that after you finish the meal, you still have between one and two ounces of matzah. Meaning half a round matzah and some eat are full. Full matzah in the end. So if you stuff yourself with food, the main matzah now is to eat the afikoman. That's the final matzah. If you stuff with food, you're not hungry. When a person is stuffed, is not hungry, and he eats anyway, it's called achila gasa. It's not a proper eating. It's not even considered eating. So therefore the afikoman, you ate, you ate, you ate, you force yourself to eat, but it doesn't count that you ate. Because to eat means when you want to eat, when you're interested, when you enjoy the eating. If somebody shove it into your mouth and stuff you until you die, that's not eating. <laughs> Understand? Eating means when you eat and you enjoy the food. Therefore if you stuff yourself up to here and you're not interested to eat, and you force yourself to eat, it doesn't count like eating. The day of Pesach, in this year it's Friday, from the morning to the Lela Seder, you're not allowed to eat matzah. Not broken into omelet, not in soup. You don't eat matzah. You have to come into Lela Seder that matzah is something new and fresh for you. Two, three, four days before, you're allowed to eat. Better to eat matzah shira, egg matzah. It's made from fruit juices and eggs. It's not real matzah. It's like mezonot matzah. One more difference between Sfaradim and Ashkenazim. The entire year, Ashkenazim 
when they eat matzah during the year, sometimes in Shabbat, in a shul, in Sauda Shlishi, they serve matzot, machine matzah, or handmade, doesn't matter. The Ashkenazim make hamotzi lechem min haaretz on matzah all year around. The Sfaradim only in the seven day of Pesach in Israel and the eight days of Pesach in the exile. Only when the time is to eat matzah as a bread, the Sfaradim make hamotzi. As soon as Pesach expires, Pesach is finished, the last eight days is expired, the stars appear. From that, night, from that night and on, the Sfaradim goes back to make mezonot on the matzah. Even though some Sfaradim say that the night when Pesach is over, we still make a mozi on it. Why? Because we don't have bread. We don't have it. It will take time to buy dough, to make bread, to go to the supermarket to buy bread. So since it's still your bread, because you don't have a choice, you also make a mozi on it. Only the night when Pesach finished, but the, from the following day when you already make bread or buy bread, you don't make any more amotzi on it. To come out of this disagreement between the poskim, always better not to eat matzah by itself. You can eat it, well, first you take a little piece of bread, make amotzi, and then eat matzot, no problem. You anyway made a little bit amotzi. One slice at least, eat bread. Otherwise, you're going to machlok et aposkim. So now, we do amotzi lechem in aaret. We do asher kideshanu v'mitzvotav v'tzivanu al achilat matzah. We lean to the side with a plate and we eat the matzot, as I told you. We have half and half together. That's two ounces of matzah. You're not allowed to talk at all while you're eating and you have to do everything you can to finish it within four minutes. Four minutes. So therefore, you look at the clock, no joking, no laughing, no getting up in the middle. You can put a little salt on it if it makes it easier for you, not too much, because you have to taste the taste of the matzah. You lean on the left and you eat two ounces of matzah. Once you're done, you can talk. So that's the achilat matzah. Now we eat maror. We take maror from the plate. Usually the owner of the house, you should put, you should prepare the maror, which is, by the Sfaradim is ladders, by the Ashkenazim is horseradish. You prepare it in advance in bags for the guest. When, I always wondered why Sfaradim made maror ladders. Ladders has a little bit sweetness in it. It's delicious, well, it's not bitter. Then I realized what it means is the bottom of the lettuce. The bottom, it's bitter like poison. Very, very bitter. And I, it's one of the most bitter things you ever ate. The bottom, the hard piece in the bottom. The lettuce, you have to be very, very careful to clean it from worms the days before Pesach. You have to rinse it. You have to put it in soap for 20 minutes, special soap. And then after that you rinse it with flow, flowing water, very hard, with a brush. If you have a soft brush, you brush it very good when the water is flowing and then you check it in the sun. You don't need magnify glass. You don't need to go crazy. But you have to check the leathers. You check them that they don't have. They have all kinds of special leathers in special bags. It's kushkatif. They grow it in beach sand. Beach sand doesn't have worms. If it's reliable or not, I don't know myself. 
Why? Because in my own eyes I've seen some of those ladders that come and you pay three or four or five times more in the price. In my own eyes I saw that sometimes they have big worms in it, or flies, or mosquitoes. Because they grow it in a bit sand, but how, who promised you that once they cut it out, once it was waiting for packing, a little fly didn't go in between the leaves. So even that you have to clean very carefully. Usually every year we buy MD Boy leathers from Costco, very cheap. It comes big for three or four dollars for about six pieces. We clean them very carefully, like I said. We make sure we never had problem. One year from the last 20 years that we found problems with this, like flies or something like this. Usually, if you buy a bag, if you begin to check the leaves and more than three leaves already have, that means the entire pack is not good. That means everything is con contaminated already with the flies or worms or whatever it has. Usually if it's clean, it cleans, oh, everything is clean. You check 10, 20 leaves, you see everything is clean after you rinse it and you washed it, it's fine. But you have to be careful with that. Then we eat korech. So remember, we add two halves of matzah, that's achilat matzah. Now we add maror, one ounce of leathers or horseradish according to the Ashkenazim, without heseva. We don't, we don't lean when we eat the maror. Maror, it's bitter. You're not a king now. You eat bitter as a memory of the slavery and the hard work. Now we do korech. Hillel Azaken was the head of the Sanhedrin. He used to take two matzot made a sandwich out of it, put leathers with charoset, charoset, it's like looking like cement, charoset, puts it together in a sandwich, this is how we used to eat it. Al matzot umrorim yochluhu, because we used to eat the korban pesach with matzot, maror, everything combined. So therefore today we don't have korban pesach so we do, we make a sandwich between the matzot and the, and the maror, and we eat it in a seva. So what do we have right now? After we add two halves, now we have one half left, right? We take that half, we break it to two quarters, we put the one ounce leathers. So we add one ounce leathers for achilat maror. Now we need another ounce of leathers for the sandwich that we eat based on the way Hillel Azaken used to do it. So you make a sandwich between two quarters, you have a round matzah, half of it is left, you cut it in the middle, you have two quarters. You made a sandwich between the two quarters and one ounce of matzah with some haroset. You lean on the left side and you eat it within four minutes. Old people or sick people, it's hard for them to chew and to eat fast. Up to six minutes is still good. After six minutes, it's already questionable. Some say seven minutes, some say even up to 11 minutes. Why do you want to run into a disagreement area? Four, it's the best. Achila, it's called achilat pras, within four minutes. You may ask, who cares how long? As long as I eat it, what, what does it make? Four minutes or 20 minutes? The answer is, the stomach of a person has a X amount of food in X amount of time to make the person full. If you eat one ton of matzah, one bite and you wait five minutes, one bite, wait five minutes, one bite, wait five minutes, you will never be full. 
Never. You never feel full in your stomach. Why? Because one bite is nothing. It's maybe 10 gram, whatever it is. It gets digested right away. So you never get to a situation that your stomach got the full amount to be full. And in order for us to be full, the Torah says, You eat, and you be full, and you bless your God. Meaning when you, are, you have an obligation to bless Hashem, only when you're full. But what is considered that I'm full? One ounce of food within four minutes. Even though it has arguments about it. Two ounces, one ounce, four minutes, six minutes. To be on the safe side, four minutes. Good. It's according to all opinions. And this is what we're trying to do. So now after we did the sandwich and we leaned to the left, Zecher Leilel Shaya Korhan, that used to put a sandwich. Now, Shulchan Orech, meaning now we're going to the meal. When a person buys meat for Pesach, he should not say, this is meat for Pesach. Or this is for Pesach. Why? The word Pesach is because Hashem skipped the houses of the Jews when he strike on the Egyptians firstborn. Pesach, Poseach, means jumping over. Poseach. You have a, a trap, you run, and you jump over it. That's called Poseach. However, since the holiday called Pesach, because Hashem skipped the houses of the Jews, the sacrifice of Pesach, when they came out of Mitzrayim, they took the goats of the Egyptians, which was their god, the Egyptian worship their goats, like the Indian worship the cow, so don't be surprised. They worship their goats, and they also worship the Niles. The Niles, in Egypt you don't have rain, almost never. So the Nile once in a while comes up, and he gives water to all the ways that they make for the water, for the fields. It's sending a lot of water. So the Egyptians, the primitive, ancient Egyptians, looked at that as a sign of God, that this is a source of blessing, that it gives water, and thanks to that we have food. So they used to worship the Nile. They also worship the goats, the animals, the sheep. So Hashem said to the Jews, four days before, tie a goat into your bed, and when the Egyptians hear from your house, says, meh, what's this inside the house? Why the goat is inside the house? Why my God is inside? You're stealing my God? So they come inside, and they see the Jew that they hate so much, took my God and tied it to his bed. So right away, the Egyptian, Mustafa, is fuming. You know? So Mustafa said to Itzik, Itzik, why my God is tied to your bed? <laughs> so Itzik, say, has, Itzik has to answer him, your God is going to be my shish kebab in four days. And I make it nice steaks, well done, on a grill with some spices, gyro, you know, mamash, barbecue. And he goes crazy, you're going, you're like in India. Try to say to an Indian person in India, give me this cow, we want to slaughter it and make kebab. And see what the Indians will do to you. They go crazy. So what happened here? Hashem said to the Jews, don't care about them. Now it's the time to teach them a lesson. Don't be afraid of them. 
trust me, the salvation began. We're going to chop their gods into pieces and you eat it. So there is two kinds of sacrifices of Pesach. The first year and all the years after. Pesach Mitzrayim and Pesach Ledorot. I once made a lecture about it, the differences between... The Pesach out of Mitzrayim, they did it in one way. Every other year after, it's a different story. What does it mean? The rest of the years, they gather a group of people and they made a list. Reuven has a goat. He's going to slaughter it before Lela said a few hours, prepare it, clean all the dirt, prepare it for the barbecue. He has to make a list who comes and eat with him. So they know this size of goat, you need 35 people to finish it. This one, you need 50 people to finish it. This one, 20 people, depend. So they made a list. If you're not in a list, you cannot join it in the last minute. Only Lemnuyav. It has to be, you have to be a member. Ruven, count me in your goat. Itzhak, I'm going to come eat by you. This is, how, this is how it has to be done. But back in the time, Pesach Mitzrayim is a different story. Four days you check it, it doesn't have a, a defect, nothing is broken. And this is how it was. So since the sacrifice of Pesach, we call it Korban Pesach. When a person buys lamb, veal, meat, whatever he buys, and he said this is for Pesach, is actually saying this is like for Korban Pesach, even though it's not, that's not what he meant, but it's like making dedication on the meat that this is my Korban Pesach. And you're not allowed to eat Korban Pesach in your house today. Here we don't have Bet Mikdash, we don't have all the necessary condition. So we have a custom not to say on the meat this is for Pesach. If it's Sukkot, it's no problem. You can say the meat is for Sukkot. If it's for Shabbat, you say the meat is for Shabbat, or the meat is for Shavuot, no problem. But when it comes for Pesach, you don't say it's for Pesach. And what happened if you said, you didn't know, no problem, you can eat it. Why? After all, you, <coughs> you did not mean that that's going to be a sacrifice. So, after we finish the food, and remember to eat very, very little, then we have Tzafun. Tzafun means the Afikoman, that we eat the Afikoman. Then we do Birkat Amazon after the Afikoman. So we take the last half of Matzah, we lean on the left, we eat the Afikoman within four minutes. Some say that this is the actual Achilat Matzah of Pesach. Not the first time when we eat, when we do Amotzi. This is actually the Achilat Matzah. That's why you have to have your stomach a little bit empty and still craving food. Because if you stuff up to here, it's called Achila Gasai, it doesn't count. You leave room for the Afikoman. You finish the Afikoman, and now you do Birkat Amazon. Once you do Birkat Amazon, that's a cup, another cup, it's the third cup. Remember, we have first cup in a Kiddush, then second cup, then third cup now. Once we do Birkat Amazon, now we have Halel. Fourth cup, it's the Halel. Hallelujah. All the parts from the Halel, which is all Mizmore Tehilim that we have. We say it in Rosh Chodesh, we say it on Yom Tov. This is what we say in Haggadah. And Nirza means satisfied, everything Baruch Hashem. Then we, have, we sing some songs. 
אחד מי יודע, חגדיה, all kinds of songs, every עדה with their customs. The, the custom is to try to eat the afikoman before midnight. Not American midnight, that is always 12 o'clock. Jewish midnight. Jewish midnight now is approximately 1 a.m. Approximately, almost 1 a.m. It's range and move between the seasons. In the winter time, it's around 11.30, 11.20, 11 11.40, right? In the summer time, it goes up to 1.10 even, 10 minutes after 1. How do you have a different midnight every day? Because the way it is, we take the day and divide it exactly by half, and that's midday. And exactly 12 hours later, that's midnight. Let me explain. In a day, we have 24 hours. Vayere, vayi boker, 24 shaot, 24 hours. 24 hours times 60 minutes. An average hour is 60 minutes. Therefore, you have 24 hours multiplied by 60 minutes. That's a full day. Full day. Seven days like this, it's a week. We all know that. However, the day in the summer, it's longer than the day of the winter. Right? It's much longer in a day. But the night is much shorter. So for instance, today, today around 6.30, it's already light in the morning, until 8 o'clock at night, you see light. Almost the entire 24 hours, it's day. From 8 until 6, you have 6 hours, you have 10 hours. You have 14 hours light, 10 hours darkness. Soon, around August, it will be from 9 almost, to 4 a.m. That's it. The night will be very, very short. Seven hours. Seven hours night from the 24, 17 hours day. It's very long. So what do you do? If you take one hour from the night and one hour from the day and put them together, how much you have to accept to get? 120 minutes. The hour of the night can be 75 minutes. 75 minutes, the hour of the, of the, uh, the hour of the day can be 75 minutes in the summer, the hour of the night is 45 minutes, because you take the night and divide it by 12. It gives you only 45 minutes, it's short hours. One from the night, one from the day, 120. That's how it always go. So now, the way it is, if sunrise is around 6.30, and sunset is around 7.30 at night, that gives us 13 hours, 13 American hours. 13 American hours is 13 times 60 minutes. Take this number, divided by 12, it gives us 67 minutes per hour today. Every Jewish hour today, it's 67 minutes in a day. And how much at night? 53. You get it? Yes. Okay. So therefore, exactly midday is around 1, 1 p.m. Right? The midday, if you take from 6.30 to 7.30, 13 hours, cut it in the middle, six and a half hours. Six and a half hours from 6.30 in the morning, exactly 1, 1, 1 p.m. Same thing, it will be at night. 
If it's in the midday one, at night it's one. If it's 12.30 midday, it's 12.30 after midnight. You understand? When is it midday, midnight in the Lela Seder? 1 a.m. Remember, you want to finish the Afikoman at 1 a.m. Now you can do Birkat Amazon, you can say more stories, you can stay until 2, 3, 4, it's up to you. But finish the eating Afikoman. After you eat a fikoman, you don't drink anything, you don't eat anything. If you're really, really thirsty, water is allowed. You leave the taste of the fikoman in your mouth. Now, this is a little bit rules and understanding of the order of Lela Seder. Let's talk a little bit some, about some of the secrets of what we're going to say. We say, Vatiten lanu et matzot. We say it in a Kiddush, Pesach has few names. One, Chag Pesach, Second, Chag Cherut, Third, Chag Matzot, the holiday of the Matzot. The Ben Ishchai, Alav HaShalom, in his drasha in the Shabbat HaGadol, the Shabbat HaGadol is the Shabbat before Pesach, remember. Shabbat before Pesach, it's always called Shabbat HaGadol, the greater Shabbat, the greatest. Ben Ishchai said that this, this holiday has the name Chag HaMatzot and also Chag HaPesach. Why? David HaMelech had a reputation in the world. He had a stick, a cane, and he had a bag, Tarmil, bag that he carried with him. So one stick on the on side and one bag on the other side. Mordechai HaTzadik had reputation. Crown of gold in one side, on one hand, a sack and ashes on the other hand. What's going on here? Why such a contradiction? Gold, ashes, cane and a, a, and a, and a bag, and a, tower, a palace on the other hand, David HaMelech. Decide, are you a shepherd or you a king? Mordechai. Are you the head of the Sanhedrin, or are you a, a, a poor Jew with ashes on his head? The answer is, the secret, what's the secret over here? The secret over here is, the person should never forget where he came from. person should never forget what he used to be. You used to be poor, you became rich. Don't ever deny what you used to be. You used to be an ignorant secular person with no brain, no sechel, no Torah, no Yederech Eretz, no Yerat Shamaim, no smell, no nothing. And one day you became Baal Tshuva and you learn and learn and learn and you became a very big Chacham. Now you see somebody that is like he used to be 30 years ago. You look down at him, Ugh, what a dirty person, look at him, what a low life. You already forgot that you used to be worse than him, huh? Short memory. Right? How do you know who this person would be? Maybe in 20 years he's going to be greater than you. You understand? So the idea is, the Ben Ishchai say, Pesach is a memory of salvation and freedom. And Chag Matzot, the holiday of the Matzot, is a memory of the bread that our fathers ate in Egypt. As we say in the Agadah, Halachmania, this bread of shame, bread of poverty. That our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. And the, the reason we eat 
Pesach on matzot umerorim, the sacrifice of Pesach, the lamb, barbecue lamb, which is the most delicious thing. We eat it together with the bread of poverty and bitter maror, horseradish or bitter lettuce. Why? To remember the day of salvation and the bitterness that the Egyptians used to give to our fathers when they tortured them with hard work. Now we'll never forget that we used to be slaves and thanks to Hashem He took us out of Egypt and brought us to where we are. This is the idea of it. So we, we should never ever forget. The Maharsha says on the Gemara in chapter Arve Psachim it says Matchil, matchil Begnut Umesayem Beshvach. It starts with uh, Gnut with the disgrace and finish with the praise. Now the person should remember in the happiest moment of his life the days that he used to be poor and neglected and not important. Remember how Hashem brought me from the lowest level into the great level that I'm in. Whether it's in money, whether it's in wisdom, whether you used to be single and now you're married. And that's the secret of this holiday, coming from low into high. And the four cups of wine that we drink, first of all you should know, the greatest mitzvah is to drink wine, not grape juice. Soon we're going to talk if, if everybody can do it, because some people after one glass of wine, adios amigos. <laughs> They're gone, you know, they fall on a couch. What, what, what did you gain by that? People that can tolerate wine should drink all full four cups of wine. Even women? Even women. However, however, if you already drink wine, drink wine that doesn't have sugar. They add a lot of sugar and sometimes they add water. So if there's water, it's this wine that doesn't have water and doesn't have sugar added, that's very good. If they add water, most wines, almost all of them, they add water, at least make sure that it's mostly wine, not mostly water. According to the Ashkenazim, some of the wines that they give Ashgacha as wine, it's mostly water. One time in a wedding, they invited Rav Ovadia Yosef to the chupa to make bracha on the wine, the Ashkenazim, and he made she'akol niyabit varo. And they all were shocked, the Ashkenazim. What do you mean, Shakol Niyabit is wine? Wow, pour it from a bottle of wine. He said, what can I do? It's mostly water. It goes by the majority. The Ashkenazim, maybe the old, since the taste of a wine dominant, that's really, a person doesn't call it water, it calls it wine. Even though it's mostly water, but the wine is so strong, it's like taking syrup, you know, take syrup, a little bit red, you put, very little. The rest is 90% water. But nobody calls it water. Everybody call it petal, syrup, right? Juice or whatever you call it, lemonade. It's dominant. It's an argument. It's a logical argument. If we follow the physical majority or the, which part of the mixture is more dominant. Whatever the case is, better to drink something that is mostly wine. If it's hard for you, if it's hard for you, to drink wine, drink half and half. Half wine, half grape juice. But try to make a little bit more wine than grape juice, because that makes the majority 
the majority always win. So 60% of the cup. Get yourself small cups that it's 3.2 ounces, not less. Less than that is not enough. 3.2 ounces minimum. If you have small glasses like this, 3.2 ounces, if you want to go the shita of the chazonish, 5 ounces. Still very little. Prepare small glasses in advance, buying a store small one, and then you put it mostly wine, and the rest you add grape juice, it's no problem. If you cannot drink any wine, drink only grape juice. Better than nothing, obviously. But I'm giving you the level which one consider higher than others. Drinking pure grape juice only is the lowest level. Drinking wine with no sugar and no too much water is the highest level. Some people make their own wine, like Hasidish style. They actually make it at home. Don't add any water, no nothing, no sugar, mamash, very strong wine. They can tolerate, no problem. Why we drink four glasses of wine? Arba kosot. Because in the Torah, Hashem used four languages for the salvation. One glass for each language. Four glasses for four different languages. Ve'otzeti, one language, and I took you out. Ve'itzalti atchem avodatam. I saved you. So we have, I took you out. We have, I saved you. Ve'galti atchem. I redeemed you. With a strong arm. So now we have a third language. And the fourth language, And I took you to be a nation to me, and I will be your God. So four languages. What are the four languages? I took you out, I saved you, I redeemed you, and I took you. Four different languages. For each language, which is unique compared to the other three in something, we drink one glass of wine. What's the secret of a glass of wine? Glass, kos, in Hebrew it's called kos. Kos, in numeric value, it's 86. Like God, Elohim, also 86. Each glass, Elohim. God, God, Elohim means the judgment God, the God of judgment. We also have the God of mercy. Here we're talking the God of judgment, that he made judgment to the Egyptian. So for every different language, for every different language, tell him that, yeah. For every different language, we, we take a different glass. Now I want to ask you a question. What's the difference between the four languages? I'm giving you a hint. The first three, it's one category, and the fourth one is another category. Let me repeat. First language, ve'otzeti, ve'galti, ve'lakachti. Correction. Four languages. One, ve'otzeti, second, ve'itzalti, third, ve'galti, and the fourth one, ve'lakachti. What's the difference between the first three and the fourth one? The first three, it, it was that Hashem is telling us how He took us out, how He saved us, fine. The fourth language, the fourth language, it's talking about a future salvation. 
When that salvation will start? Only when I will give you my Torah. Today you became a nation. When was it said? When this verse was said in the Torah? Today you became a nation. And the day that Hashem gave us the Torah. Up to now, you were not officially a nation. Today when I gave you the Torah, you became officially a nation. So when Hashem said the fourth language, the fourth language that Hashem said is... This didn't happen yet. The other three happened already. He took us out of Egypt. But the fourth one is about to happen. So it's different than the first three. The, four, the first three is in the meal. Olam All these things we say in a meal. The third one conclude Birkat Amazon. The fourth one... It's in the Hallel. We finish the Hallel on it. Why? Because without it, we would, it would not be worth anything. If Hashem wouldn't give us the Torah, what was the whole thing that He took us out of Egypt? Remember always, Anochi Hashem Elokechem Asher Eretz Mitzrayim. What does it say? I took you out of Mitzrayim to be your God, that you will be my nation. There's no other reason I took you out of Mitzrayim. I didn't take you out of Mitzrayim to eat seeds and go to the soccer games on Shabbat in Jerusalem with your car. Not for that. I have plenty of monkeys in a safari. I don't need people to jump naked on a fence and scream and curse. I don't need. Not for that I took you out of Egypt. I took you out of Egypt because each one of you has to be an angel, a little god like me. You are my children, you represent me in the world. If you want to be like a dog, if you want to live like an idol worshiper goy, if you want to be a wicked Jew, I don't need you. I would not take you out of Egypt. For what did I take you out? To be another goy? To be Chris? To be Muhammad? For this I took you out of Egypt? I have seven and a half million of them. I don't need another one or two or ten or another million. That's not the reason I took you out of Egypt. If you want to behave like them, you want to live like them, you want to marry them, I would leave you in Egypt to become one of them. To die there. To marry them, to get assimilated, and that's it. I don't need a nation. Jews forgetting the reason Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim. By living like a goy, dressing like a goy, calling the children with names of goyim, eating like goyim, Living in places of goyim, imitating the goyim, imitating the law culture. Everything is sports and manipulation and victories and all kinds of shows and theaters and no connection to Hashem and to the Torah. You actually rebel and you are actually not doing, the, you're not fulfilling the reason why Hashem took us out of Egypt. If a person wants to be just another Gentile, is actually telling Hashem, you did your share, now I put an X on you. I don't care. What are you going to do? What is it like? Reuven and Shimon. Reuven, Shimon is begging him, save me, save me from jail. I need someone to release me on bail. I'm begging you, I'm begging you. So Reuven said to him, I'm willing to redeem you from jail. 
otherwise you'll, be, you'll stay there to die. They'll chop you to pieces over there, these anti-Semite goyim. I'm going to take you out of jail. In one condition, that you come work for me and manage my business. Fair deal or no? Of course, of course, I'll kiss your feet. Of course, take me out of here, I promise. As soon as you pay the money, $100,000, and redeem him, he spits in your face. And from then on, forever like this, every day. This is us, in case you didn't realize. Some spits more, some spits less. But we're all like this. You're not waking up to pray. What do you do? You say to Hashem, leave me alone, I'm not interested in your rules. You're not eating strictly kosher, leave me alone. You're not modest with the girls, leave me alone, I'm not interested in your Torah. You're not coming to learn Torah, I'm not interested. You see what's going on here. And that's what people forget. If every Jew would understand, Habibi, you're only alive for one reason. The oxygen you breathe is not for free. Right now there's a timer who calculates how much oxygen you get every hour. And when you die, I'm going to serve you the bill. And it's going to be very painful to pay for what you used and you did not do what you're supposed to. You understand? And that's what people don't understand. They think the speakers enjoy to come and scream and shake them up because they enjoy. They don't understand it's a matter of life and death for eternity, not for 70 years. Life and death for eternity. When we speak the Haggadah, don't eat and don't drink anything. Not Coca-Cola, not uh, peach, nothing. No grapes. Now it's time to say the Haggadah. You praise Hashem, do it properly. When you speak about Egypt, all kinds of Torah relates to Pesach, it's count. Even if you speak Halachot of Pesach. But Rabbi, it's not the story of the Exodus of Egypt, the Halachot. Doesn't matter, you don't know anything else, you know Halachot, say Halachot about Pesach, about Matzah, about Arba Kosot, whatever you can say Halachot, no problem. You know Midrashim, Midrasei, all kinds of verses from, uh, from uh, Sefer Shmot that speaks about Paro and Moshe and the plagues. Bring it to the table, speak about that. It's no problem. Anything that relates to Pesach, you fulfill the obligation of speaking about Yitziat Mitzrayim. You have to be very excited, not just to speak because you, what can I do? I have to say, I have to say, it's the story of Exodus of Egypt. What a punishment. Especially when the Bukharian goat is getting warmed and you smell the food and now what do you care about now to say it for the 500 times in your life that we came out of Egypt and Hashem made all these miracles. This is the way we are. So you have to do it with excitement, showing the kids you enjoy every minute. Also, like I said, boys comes before the girls. Meaning, the obligation is Women don't have an obligation of learning Torah. Even though in here, women are obligated to hear the story of Yetziat Mitzrayim. They are. Don't keep the women in a the kitchen. They have to listen at least to some. One more thing, if 
if your sons are married and they come to you and they have their own children, meaning your grandchildren are by you, the son has to talk to his own children in the language they understand. So meaning if the adult speaking in Hebrew and the grandchildren, the boys of the, of the son, they don't understand Hebrew, they only understand English. The father has to speak to them in a language they understand, not to participate in a conversation in a table with all the rabbis. He has to bring it to the level of his children in a language they understand. One more thing. <laughs> Today we, we say, I always smile when I say, we pick up the matzah and we say, ha, this is the bread, bread of poverty that our fathers ate in Egypt. And I'm thinking to myself, six dollars, this cracker. This matzah. See, it, it, it costs more than three all loaves of breads. One matzah. Imagine if we have to eat all year breads like this. Half a million dollar bread bill it would be. You know, with this kind. Baruch Hashem, it's only once or twice a year. But back then, it was very cheap. He didn't have all these kashruyot, ashgachot, like today, massive industry. We announce every person is, that is poor and needs, is a needy, is welcome to join us. You don't want to do Lela Seder with, without any poor person in your table. Make sure someone that doesn't have a place to be is, is at least one. Because the whole idea is that we announce every poor person is welcome, welcome, and only the billionaires of Forest Hills is in his $10 million mansion here. The diamond dealer, the real estate tycoon, the other one from 47th Street, all the cousins and the uncles, all millionaires. Everybody, Baruch Hashem, Look at the cars, half a million, 400,000, 200,000, they're all with their gold watches, sitting and enjoying the steaks. Not one poor person in a table, and he say, every poor person is welcome. Where exactly have poor person in, uh, in King's Point over there that is a homeless on a bench? Eh, come, come, anybody poor over here? No, no, invite somebody poor in advance. Poor means someone that he can be Bachor Yeshiva. He doesn't have his own money. He'll be 22, 23. He's not married. Even if his parents give him money, but he himself has nothing. He doesn't have to be a homeless. Anyone, any teenager that you host in your house that doesn't have his own money, doesn't work, is going to yeshiva, that's already considered poor. So if someone goes away for the holiday somewhere to a hotel, for example, then what does he do to fulfill having a poor person? He doesn't. When you yourself going to a hotel, you can pay for someone poor to join your table. If it's separate tables, then it's count. You pay for his food, it's also fine. So, you know, why we announce to the poor people, this is the bread of poverty. Everyone wants to join us while we're eating this. Bread of poverty is welcome. What kind of hosting is this? It's like someone say to his neighbor, can I come to you for Shabbat? Yeah, yeah, this Shabbat we're only eating rye bread with, with uh, margarine. You can, you're very welcome. Come to join us. We're eating a, a, a hard bread, breaking the teeth, 
With margarine, maybe onion for dessert. <laughs> you can join us. The poor person say, oh, I'd, I'd rather die than to come to you, you know. What kind of this? This is the way you're hosting guests. Come, but there's nothing to eat. What's the point? Did you ever think about it or no? No, you want him to come. You need the poor people to come. The Gemara says in Baba Metziah, Pei, Gimel, the Gemara says like this. Rabbi Yochanan ben Matia sent his son to hire workers. He warned him. He said, don't tell him you're going to give them a meal. Tell them that you give them something to eat. Bread, vegetables, don't go into details. Don't say official meal. Why? Because if you only say, I will give you something to eat, it's no problem. But if you say, I'm going to give you a meal, there's going to be a very serious problem. Why? Because they are the children of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. So no matter what you're going to give them, it's never going to be enough. So don't obligate yourself to something that it can never be enough. So that's why we say, we will give you a cracker of the poor people, bread of shame, and then you give them all the Persian food. Ah, they say, well, with bread like this? <laughs> I, I moved to live here. But the idea is, Tzadikim speaks very little and do a lot. Reshaim, I'll give you the world. And in the end, they give you nothing. Not only they give you nothing, today in this generation, they take the little that you have also. There's one guy, Baruch Hashem, Hashem saved us from him. He grew up a nice beard, put his nice sombrero like Rosh Yeshiva, very impressive beard. And he, Mamash, used to be a professional thief. Everybody that has money, somehow he gets to his money and steals it from him. So one time an Israeli guy from Israel came, and they told him, you can stay by the house of this guy. As soon as I heard it, I say, poor guy. <laughs> Few months later, I hear a story that this guy came with, I don't remember if it was $10,000 or $20,000. So he had some money that he brought with him. And he said to him, the cat, say, you can give me the cheese to keep it for you. <laughs> give me, give me the cream cheese, I'll watch it for you. The cat said to the mouse, you can give me the cream cheese, I will, you know, keep it away for you. So he said to him, give me the money, when you need it, I'll give it to you, I'll hide it for you. And then of course, he never gave it back to him. The punishment that Hashem gave to this Santa Claus cannot be described in words. The punishment that he got, if you hated him the most in the world, you wouldn't give him such a punishment. The way Hashem gave him. I can't even give details because then some people would know who I'm talking about. But the punishment he got, believe me, even his biggest enemy that lost all his money by him would not wish him the end that he has. Him and his family. I'm telling you, words cannot describe. That's what happened to people. They think they'll get away with whatever they do forever. But there's no such thing. עבדים היינו לפרעה במצרים, ואילו לא הוציא הקדוש ברוך הוא את אבותינו ממצרים, עדיין אנחנו ובנינו ובני בנינו משועבדים היינו לפרעה במצרים. 
ואפילו כולנו חכמים, כולנו נבונים, כולנו יודעים את התורה, מצווה עלינו לספר ביציאת מצרים. Translation. We were slaves to Paro in Egypt. If Hashem would, did not take us out of Egypt, we would still be us and our children and grandchildren are slaves to Paro in Egypt. And even though all of us are wise and smart and know the entire Torah, it's mitzvah for us to talk about the story of the Exodus of Egypt. What's the connection? What's all this now? You want to say that if Hashem didn't take us out of Egypt, we would stay there forever. Obviously, it's obvious. Without Hashem, we would never be able to come out of there. So we know it. But what does it have to do with even we all smart, we all wise? It's mitzvah for us to tell the story of the Exodus of Egypt. And if we stoop it, we don't have to say the Exodus of Egypt? What does it mean? And even if we are so smart, we have to say the story of Yitzhak Mitzvah. What, what, what does it mean here? By the way, this is an answer to the question of the song. What is change in this night from all the nights? And we begin to give a list of changes. What we do in the rest of the year and what we do tonight. And this is the answer. That if Hashem would not take us, we would stuck there forever. And even if we wise and smart, it's still an obligation for us to talk about the Exodus of Egypt. The smarter a person is, the more grateful he has to be. The more appreciative he has to be. So what does it mean? And even if we smart, meaning if you're stupid and foolish, obviously you have to talk about the Exodus of Egypt. When you're smart, Really, there is a side to say that you don't have to, but even so, we have to. What is, what's going on here? Did you ever think about it? You read it 20 times in your life. The secret is that Hashem saved us from Egypt, and we do all these things to symbolize the slavery, and we were not free, and we eating maror, bitter. Why? Remember what happened in Egypt. We eat matzah. Remember what happened to Egypt. It's a bread of poverty. And we dip the ladders into the haroset. Haroset, it's like the, it's the cement. They used to make the cement, you know, so the bricks. So we do all these things. All this is to remind us who we used to, what, we, what used to be to us. If we stay in Egypt, and Hashem wouldn't take us, we would get to Nun Sha'are Tumah. There are 49 gates of impurity. Once you get to the 50th level, you sink. You keep going lower and lower and lower and lower. You get to the bottom, it's 50. You got to the bottom, you're done. There's no way to come out of there. No, nothing can help. No tshuva, no learning, no nothing. So up to 49, the lower you go, the harder it is to get out. Once you get to the 50th, you're done. When did Hashem take us out? At the 49th. Meaning, moments before it was too late. No. So we're making all these signs to remind us of what used to be. Therefore, even all of us wise and clever and smart, and we know the entire Torah, and we think, oh, I already know. I know everything. There's no point of keep reminding to myself. I'm, uh, 
Someone who doesn't know, says foolish, is Amaretz, he doesn't know Torah, he constantly needs to be reminded. But me, I know the whole Torah. I'm a big Chacham. I'm Roam Gdolador. I'm the Avbedin. I don't need to deal with things in a level of kindergarten. How many times I have to remind myself something that I learned in Yeshiva 5,000 times? We have to remember nothing is thanks to you, nothing is thanks to your wisdom. It's all 100% from Hashem. And if Hashem wouldn't take us, we would still be there. What does it mean? It means we have a say, Im en kemach en Torah. En kemach en Torah. If there's no flower, there's no Torah. You don't have what to eat, you die. How, how are you going to be a rabbi? You need kemach, right? You need flower. What does it mean, Im en kemach en Torah? There's a secret here. Kemach in gimatria, in numeric value, it's Pesach. You should know, if Hashem did not skip over the houses of the Jews, Pesach means skip, Hashem saved us and killed the, the Egyptians, and had mercy on our fathers in Egypt, and took them way before it was too late, a second before. He waited another, who knows, another month or two, it will be already too late. We will never get the Torah. What was this whole thing for? We would stay there and, and be gone. On the other hand, we say, Im en Torah, en Kemach. If there's no Torah, there's also no Kemach. What does it mean? Meaning, meaning, if the Torah that we, the only purpose of the creation of the world was for the Torah. And without the Torah, there was no need to take us out of Egypt. The only reason Hashem took us is to receive the Torah. That's why when a Jew doesn't want to receive the Torah, and doesn't want to learn Torah, doesn't want to live by the Torah, it's like taking the money and not doing the job. A crook. Uh, I, I, I hired you for something. I gave you your tools, your car, your money, your salary. Only for this purpose. You took everything from me, and you're not doing the job, and not only that, some goes even further. Not only they're not doing their obligation, what they were hired for, they used the tools and the money to hurt Hashem. You understand? I, I gave you tools, I bought you a grass machine, you know, lawn machine, I got, I got you all these things that you need, all the tools, the hose, everything that you need to take care of my garden. I gave you money, everything I paid you in advance, take care of my house. Not only you did not do the job, you took the things that I gave you and you came and damaged my house. Imagine the punishment. Now, we have a very interesting thing. We'll finish with this because time ran out. Maybe tomorrow I'll do part two in Brooklyn because I have a lot more to say about the rest of the Agada. Amar Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah was 18 years old. They chose him to be the president. Never in the history such a thing ever happened. You have thousands of old rabbis, 80, 90, 75, they learned 70, 80 years of Torah in the highest level. Very righteous people that they will be controlled by an 18 years old kid that barely has a beard. If today you, you take all the old rabbis in the world, collect them, all the rabbis, 
דיס רבן, דת רבן, רב שטיינמן, רב חיים קנייבסקי, אני רבי, סבנדי ואולדר, קולקט אול אוף דם, ברינג דם טוואן פלייס, ותק וואן ליטל קיד, סקיני לייק דיס, ג'וס קמא דו וייס סקול, ואני אומר, ג'נטלמנס, יו, סיט אובר היר, יו, קאם סיט אובר היר, נו נו, יו, גט אפ, סיט אובר דר, ואני קאמס אין, דה אף טו סטנד, לוקס לייק אג'וק, אז השם מייד אימא מיראקל, לוקס לייק אג'וק, היא קאמס לייק דיס, ליטל קיד איז גאנה דומינט, 18 יר זולד רבייז. So in the first, the front of his beard overnight became white. So it makes him look like maybe 40. But there's a secret here. We have to understand how the rabbi agreed to make somebody like this their boss. Rabban Gamliel before him was a strict, serious, old, you know, you know everything fine. From the family of David HaMelech, Yezichus. From this to this, how can it be? No matter how brilliant he was. He's only 18 years old. How much he learned in his life? Ma, 10 years. You compare 10 years to 8 years of learning. And they're all genius. It's not that he's genius and they are not so genius. It's everybody is a giant. In a million years, you will never understand how something like this is possible. And any explanation you give for it will not convince, except one. There's only one answer. After you hear it, we'll finish with this. Who is this Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah? He is Shmuel Anavi. He is a reincarnation of Prophet Samuel. Prophet Samuel passed when he was 52 years old. Very young. 52 years, he passed. Now he's 18, and this is what he say. I am like 70 years old. What does it mean, I'm like 70? You're 18. Sit and be quiet. You're 18. What is it, I'm 70 years old? I am like 70. If you take my previous life that I remember the whole of it, which is 52, and the 18 that I live now, and you put them together, combined together, I'm like a 70 years old. I'm not less than any one of you. But, in my entire life, first life and second life together, 70 years of life, I never saw that they speak about the exodus of Egypt at night. Meaning, in Kriyat Shema at night, in the morning, we say the parasha of Tzitzit. This is the third chapter of Shema Israel, right? This is how we end Shema Yisrael, today. But back in the time, it was not in Tfilat Arvit yet. Only in Shachrit. Nobody spoke about Yitziat Mitzrayim at night. Until a Chacham, his name was Ben Zoma, that he came and made a drasha. He looked at the Pasuk and he said, Leman tizkor et yom tzedcha meretz Mitzrayim kol yemei chayecha. That you should remember the day that you came out of Mitzrayim kol yemechayecha, the entire days of your life. Too many extra words in a verse. You don't need all this. That you should remember that you came out of Mitzrayim all your life. What does it mean? The entire days of your life. 
all your life, finished. What are you adding all these words? So he said like this, Yemechayecha is talking about the days, not the nights, only the days. Kol Yemechayecha, the entire days of your life is also to include the nights. Why we don't mention the exodus of Egypt at night? We should start saying it at night when we pray Arvit. We have to also speak about Yitziat Mitzrayim. Ani Hashem Elokechem, Asher Otseti Etchem Eretz Mitzrayim, Liot Lachem Leelokim, Ani Hashem Elokechem, Emet, right? We finish, but if the Pasuk finish, Ani Hashem Elokechem. We have to say it at night. How do we learn that? From the Pasuk. Otherwise the Pasuk would not say, Kol Yemechayecha. The word Kol doesn't belong there. It's come to include the nights also. Days of your life, it's days only. The entire days of your life, meaning also including the night. Okay, the Chachamim disagree with him. The Chachamim say no. Days of your life mean this world. The entire days of your life, Kol Yemechayecha, it's speaking about days of Mashiach. After Mashiach comes, that's going to be a whole different world. You may come and say, when Mashiach comes, What's the point of mentioning the exodus of Egypt? It will be a joke compared to the salvation of Mashiach. The salvation of Egypt, it was incomplete. 80% of the Jews died in the darkness. 12 million died. Only 3 million came out. And a lot of Erev Rav, Goyim that Moshe converted, they came out. And they're giving us problems from then until now, every generation. All the lefties, all the liberal, all the Torah haters, all the religious haters, the religion haters, all the people that are pro-Palestinian and pro-Arab and against everything that is Jewish and holy, these are the descendants of the Erev Rav. So the exodus of Egypt is far from being complete. Without it, we would not be a nation. But even with it, it's far from being perfect. So now when Mashiach comes, and all the wicked people in the world will be killed. Jews and non-Jews. All the wicked, all the idol worshippers, all the Erev Rav, all the Torah haters, all the anti-Semites, all the people who made fun of the Torah and the rabbis, they all will be wiped out and go to a place to pay for all the crimes that they did against God and his children. They're going to start paying forever and ever for all the crimes. Now the world finally became perfect. No more wicked people. Only righteous Jews and righteous Gentiles. No one is wicked. No one is a thief. No one is Mechalel Shabbat. No one is an idol worshiper. No one is a show-off. It's going to be a perfect world. Why do we need to mention the exodus of Egypt? It's going to be embarrassing. <laughs> you comparing silver to diamonds? You already got a diamond. As long as you didn't have a diamond, you had a coin of silver, you went crazy. Wow, I'm lucky. Once you got a diamond, you care about the silver, you don't take it out of the closet. B'chlal. So the Chachamim said, no, no, that's what the Pasuk is teaching us. That even when Mashiach comes, you're still going to have to say, Ani Hashem Elokechem, Asher This is the whole secret of this thing. That's the reason we say it. In reality, both of them are right. You can say, is also to include the night. That's also true. And also in the days of Mashiach. 
one way or the other, Baruch Hashem, the Exodus of Egypt will still remain in effect and we'll still talk about it. Ah, even after Mashiach come, we'll still give credit to Hashem for the Exodus of Egypt and the salvation that we had 3,300 years ago. This is why this part is in Agada. Bezrat Hashem, I will finish hopefully tomorrow in my lecture in Brooklyn. We'll finish the other half. Thank you very much. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.